and welcome to the Transfer Window Podcast, where we take you inside the stories of the biggest clubs in world football, along with insight and analysis on all the big issues. I'm Ian McGarry, and joining me today is my regular partner in breaking stories, Mr Duncan Castles. And we're going to kick off, as we always like to, with a bit of news and some, some significant movement at Manchester United. A player who regular listeners to the pod um, will have heard us talk about in uh, quite some detail over the course of the, this season, Juventus striker stroke attacking midfielder Paolo Dybala. Now, there have been some reports in Italy that Manchester United have declared an interest in Dybala. However, our sources are telling us, and the information that we have is, that in fact, United have agreed in principle to pay the 100 million euros buyout clause that it would take to get Dybala out of Juventus. Duncan, this seems like a, a very bold move for a player who has scored only 10 goals with four assists all season, um, given United's sort of goal-scoring difficulties. Would you say that he's worth 100 million euros to pay? He's a 25-year-old, of course, Argentinian international as well. Um, would you see him fitting in at Old Trafford? From Juventus' perspective, they want to find a club that they can sell Dybala to. Um, and Manchester United are obviously uh, a strong candidate for them at present because United are uh, unhappy with their um, basically their squad in, in total, but particularly with um, attacking options. Um, we know um, that Romelu Lukaku is considering his future because he's been um, moved from being the first choice striker to being the second choice striker by Oleguna Solskjaer um, and uh, Lukaku's uh, new representatives have made it quite clear that uh, a move to Italy appeals to them, most likely um, to Internazionale, where um, note that today Antonio Conte gave an interview um, to Gazeta um, where he um, said that he wouldn't be taking up a, an offer he had from AS Roma to become their new coach and hinting strongly that his uh, next job would instead be at Inter, uh, which of course rules um, that position out for Jose Mourinho, um, another subject that's of interest to our listeners. So I, I think I think Dybala will be a serious option for United because they need to strengthen an attack and they feel they need to strengthen an attack. And there is um, a shortage of high quality strikers on the market, as there always is. And United aren't in the strongest of positions to recruit because they are almost certainly going to miss Champions League football. They're now dependent on trying to finish fifth this weekend and then hoping that UEFA um, place a Champions League ban on Manchester City, which would allow them to get through the back door. If they don't, um, they're already not a particularly attractive proposition because we are talking about a club that um, has finished just uh, second in six seasons um, since Edward Ward became executive vice chairman. Um, miles off the pace this season and in fact have a manager who gave a um, press conference ahead of the last game um, and was asked whether it was realistic um, even given um, the, the, the large amount of transfer expenditure that he has been promised by uh, the Glazers and Ed Woodward, whether it was realistic for them to close the gap on um, Manchester City and Liverpool next season. And he said, no, it wasn't realistic. So it has essentially ruled them out of the title race um, a year, more than a year in advance of, of its conclusion. So if you're a, a player, um, a top-level player, you, you've got to start asking serious questions about whether Manchester United is a 
a club you want to move to. Particularly if you see their their most expensive player, Paul Pogba, actively trying to get out and get to Real Madrid. Their best player, David De Gea, um, unhappy with his situation and considering a move elsewhere. And their um, their their current most expensive striker. Um, trying to get out uh, or openly advertising himself to Serie A, which means United are going to have to move down um, the list of potential targets and look to individuals like Dybala. I'm not sure how much of a market he has with other clubs. Um, I, I mean, maybe you'd have better insight yeah. on that. Yeah. I think that's very interesting, Duncan, in terms of the balance of the player absolutely would prefer a move to Barcelona or Real Madrid, but um, all the talks that have taken place between his representatives and the two Spanish clubs have been negative. Um, if you look in the Premier League, which is realistically outside of Paris Saint-Germain, it's probably the only other league that would pay the 100 million euro release clause plus wages in excess of 250 to 300,000 euros a week. Therefore, you look at the um, clubs in England who could afford him. Well, um, Tottenham Hotspur don't pay that amount of money, so that's ruled, them ruled out. Manchester City don't need a player of that type, despite the fact he was described as the new Sergio Aguero earlier in his career when he broke into the Argentina national team. Um, Liverpool, possibly, although do you break up that trident that they, they, of attackers they currently have to, to force the ballot into the team? And... Um, Chelsea, again, we don't think they're going to be investing at this level. Uh, also, they've already um, acquired Christian Pulisic for a, a similar position uh, there as well. And really, Manchester United are not probably the only club in England to be interested in Dybala. It might be the only... Uh, <coughs> it might be for United um, that they are being forced, if you like, to try and, as you said, take a second-tier player, someone that's not really wanted by other elite clubs, which... Of course, as most ex-Manchester United players that we hear um, commentating on uh, in the media are, are, are bemoaning the fact that United are no longer that attractive, you know, powerhouse where players want to come and play their football at Old Trafford. Now, if you end up with a, a player like Dybala, whose entire um, sort of style of both his personality and his play is about explosive pace, uh, great technique. Um, Quite a feisty uh, guy as well. He's five foot ten, but you know he, he, he walks taller than that, if you know what I mean. And um, so you're almost dis, uh, you know demotivating him right from the start. First of all, he wanted to leave Juventus originally because he wanted to win the Champions League and it con uh, consistently failed uh, to do so with the Italian champions. Um, he's not going to win Champions League football most likely with Manchester United. So you have to say this would be another marriage of convenience for Manchester United in terms of whether it's a player or a coach. And really, Duncan, I mean, is this where Man United are? Like, basically, you know, the last throws of the dice when they're supposed to be rebuilding and renewing the foundations? I don't think they're last throw of the dice. Um, they've got huge financial resources to apply to this transfer market. Um, we can't forget that they, you know, they turn over more than any club in England. Their operating profit is significantly bigger than any other club in Europe. So if they want to, um, they can outspend everyone. You know, they can outspend Manchester City. They can outspend Paris Saint-Germain, even though they're taking on nation states there. And even though those clubs' owners are not concerned about the degree of money they spend. But Manchester United could, in a summer... Um, beat so both of those clubs financially on transfer fees and wages. But that would uh, 
require a huge change of stance from the owners to sanction um, what, would, what would inevitably cause them to lose money um, and result in poor um, returns uh, to the stock market um, when they report uh, for the the 1920 financial year, um, cost them on dividends, etc. And we know that the Glazers run this as a financial project, as a profit-making project. So um, they're not going to do this for the glory. The only way they would sanction such a thing is if they were to be convinced that that was the best opportunity to reinstate Manchester United as a serious competitive force in English and European football and that would have significant commercial gains for them down the line. I, I don't see any sense of that. And I think in that, you know, that Solskjaer press conference when he was talking about it being unrealistic, um, essentially saying impossible to, to get past um, Liverpool and Manchester City next season and, and indeed referenced Newcastle United as a club um, that Manchester United need to avoid catching up, have a catch up with them, which I thought was an extraordinary thing for a Manchester United manager to be talking about. Um, I can see the point in a football perspective about, you also mentioned Wolves and Everton. I can see it with Wolves because Wolves um, do have a very good squad at present and will invest heavily this summer. Um, and I've got good management and excellent recruitment. So you could see them closing the gap to Manchester United next season, especially with Solskjaer in charge. So I can see why he's worried about that. But to cite Wolves isn't, I don't think in the public domain is not a good idea. And to cite uh, Newcastle United, who are a club who have had no money to spend in the market uh, for years now, and basically whose entire aim this season was to avoid relegation, is um, extraordinary for um, a new Man Manchester United manager to say. And I, I mean, imagine if any of his three immediate predecessors, David Moyes, Louis Van Hal, or Josie Mourinho, had gone into a press conference in May, at the beginning of May, and said, um, I think we cannot win the league next season. Basically cited, handed over, conceded the title uh, before they'd even start the campaign. But Solskjaer, as, as we've said in the on the um, on the podcast is uh, is the precious one, and um, those pundits, um, that, you know, that cadre of Manchester United ex-players who have prominent pundit positions in English football, refuse to criticise them um, for anything. I still haven't heard a word of criticism about anything he said, any tactical decision he's made um, during his his time in charge. So he he's uh, he seems to be insulated for now from. These, um, these matters and these, uh, these criticisms. And, and I think the one other thing you should mention about this is it's a, probably an indication that he's very confident that he will remain in charge next season. That he, because he is a, he's an intelligent, he's been an intelligent press conference operator. He's very good at saying the right things. Um, he's good at handling the press. Um, so for him to, to say something like that suggests to me that he's confident that he does have the support of Woodward and the Glazers and will be allowed this summer to improve things and also confident that what he says his message has been to the ownership is that they cannot expect to compete for the title next season has been um, uh, recognised and accepted by the owners in Ed Woodward. I think that's very true. On the one hand, we, we could maybe say that he's being realistic 
um, looking at his current squad and that maybe this is a bargaining position uh, on Solskjaer's part to effectively say to the fans, well, this is a position that I'm in and that we're in as a club unless there is significant investment uh, during the summer. But I've known individual players, I've known dressing rooms um, where they take a lot of notice of what the manager says in press conferences in the media because clearly if he's going to dig one of them out or dig them all out, <clears throat> then that has uh, an effect on the morale, the dressing room, etc, etc. Now here's a story about something, someone who did the exact opposite. When Jose Mourinho first took over Chelsea in 2004, he called a team meeting on the, uh, after training on a Friday before he did his press conference, being very aware that the players listened to every word because they wanted... Well, he was new and he was very charismatic as well, so they were, they, they were quite kind of in love with him, really, uh, when he put on these lovely public displays uh, for the media. So anyway, he, he calls him in and he says, I am going to lie today... And before I do, I want you to know that I'm about to lie because I'm going to tell the media that we are not able or capable of winning the title here this season under my first year in charge. And the players also looked at each other and thought, right, where's this going? She then takes a calendar of their fixtures and says, the truth is we are going to win the title this year. And not only that, we're going to do it away at Bolton Wanderers on this weekend in April. And the players were just stunned. Like, seriously, what, is he some kind of you know, clairvoyant now as well as being the special one? Of course, they went on to win the Premier League title, beating Bolton Wanderers 2-0 on that exact day in his first season. Now, if you're in a dressing room and your manager is so confident and he's to inspire and tells you, I'm not only going to tell you we're going to win the league, I'm going to tell you when we're going to win it. And then, of course, you do win it. Can you imagine the effect that has on morale and respect for that dressing room of their manager? Think about that and then think about what Solskjaer said. He's already got a group of dispirited, demotivated players. It's a big question whether Manchester can get rid of the majority of those players this summer already. But not only that, if this is a club that are trying to advertise themselves to new talent coming in, that's not really what you want to hear of the man who's going to be in charge of you. So I think it's a big risk for Solskjaer uh, in terms of his strategy and, and what he said. Um, and they've got another problem, Manchester United, haven't you, uh, um, Duncan? This is one that Ed Woodward will not like. It's a movement, a fans movement. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, just to say, I think you're right that Solskjaer is being realistic. I don't think Manchester United have got any chance of winning the, the, the league next season or the Champions League. But I think a good element of why they don't have any chance is because he's manager. Um, but I, and I also agree with you, you can't say that ahead of time. Um, for Just for public perspective, for the response from the fans, but also um, when you're talking to players and advertising your club to them, it's a, it's a terrible stance public stance to take um, and, and I think it feeds into things like this um, social media movement that just started up in the last few days which is called Unfollow Man United and there's a, a group of Manchester United fans who have taken notice of um, Ed Woodward's uh, repeated uh, investor conference calls when he takes pride in uh, the social media interactions that Manchester United have achieved through signing players such as Paul Pogba or Alexis Sanchez or um, uh, other things that happen to the club. And uh, I've said, well, if he's so bothered about social media, let's hurt the man. 
um, let's protest against them and hurt the man by trying to reduce Manchester United's social media following. So they um, ha have a hashtag on follow Manchester United um, uh, asking other Manchester United supporters to stop following their Twitter and Instagram and Facebook accounts. And apparently it's started to have an impact and the, the numbers are indeed dropping. Um, and it's starting to get a little bit of media coverage um, in traditional media. So um, interesting to follow that and interesting to see what uh, Ed Woodward's response will be to it. I think it's quite a, an innovative strategy by Manchester United fans. And um, yeah, let's see how they respond. That's very true, Duncan. Um, Woodward has taken great, uh, great pride in uh, quoting the millions of people all over the world who you know, follow the club on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, etc., all the different social media platforms uh, as a means of um, telling the Glazers uh, that, oh, look, you know, look how famous we are. Um, and of course, these things do have a relatively small impact on things like stock market price, etc., etc., um, because it increases the value of the club. So uh, a campaign like this, if it was to gain significant traction, would be not just an embarrassment to Woodward, but I think would be a threat to him. Um, my, my one regret is that I, I feel sorry for those pilots who fly the banner trailing planes with, like, Woodward out on them, because if people are just going to go on social media, then who's going to pay for a plane to fly over a ground? You know, that's just sad. <laughs> <laughs> So from one Manchester club who apparently will not be competing for the title next season to the one which is on the verge of clinching back-to-back -back titles this season. And of course, Manchester City uh, went back to the top of the Premier League the 32nd time this season. The lead has changed. Think about that, people. 38 games in a season. This is the 32nd time that the leadership has changed. An incredible goal by um, their captain, Vincent Company was enough to overcome Leicester, but it was a bit shaky, Duncan. And I think, you know, Leicester were slightly unlucky, but also should take a lot of credit for the way they, they played the game. Yeah, I think, I think shaky is the right word here. I think, um, I think that's the first time I've seen it in one of the Premier League games this season, but there was a nervousness about Manchester City and there was a... Um, a lack of high quality decision making on the ball and a lack of calmness when opportunities presented themselves to shoot. And if you, I think if you compare that um, performance to what they've been doing for the last you know, three, four months and, and, and uh, running off victory after victory, um, there seem to be doubts amongst the team and guys like Bernardo Silva who are, who are so efficient normally when they have chances in the penalty area to shoot or to create chances weren't hitting the target or weren't finding their men and and you could see the concern spreading it um, amongst them um, and a, a lot of that was down to, to the, the opposition at Leicester City I think you can see the quality of players they have um, they, they now have a strong squad they, have a, they had a strong 11 out a lot of um, talented players who are calm on the ball and making the right decisions in in moments of difficulty. And they, you know they played for they had a very clear game plan to to uh, congest the areas in which Manchester City wanted to play, um, and then try and score in the counter attack. And they had you know a couple of opportunities, the most notable of which was um, 
the one that uh, that uh, OK Gundogan managed to set up um, very close to the end of the match when he uh, dallied on a ball in the Manchester City half and passed it to an opponent and allowed um, Kelechi Iniacho in um, for a shot that uh, I think every um, every neutral was expecting to hit the target but um, missed by quite a distance um, and you could see Guardiola's reaction to what Gundogan had done there um, but I think, I think overall it was an impressive performance from City in that they stuck to their task they um, in, in that situation where there was the pressure upon them where there, there was the nerves amongst them they found a way to win um, absolutely sensational goal from Vincent Company, but you know they had another 25 minutes, 30 minutes in which to score. If that hadn't gone in, they were probably unlucky that Sterling didn't get a penalty. He wasn't fouled by Chowdhury, but Ben Chilwell went through him when the ball was still available for to, to play, so that could have been a penalty. And then Schmeichel a couple of excellent saves, and I think the story of the season really is that Manchester City are the better football team. We all know they're the better football team. And they go into matches domestically and you expect them to keep creating chances. They expect to keep creating chances. And the law of averages says the ball will go in the, the net eventually. And um, now to watch them go against Brighton, who um, I think, as you're well aware, are, have been celebrating their, uh, their survival in the Premier League uh, and expect Brighton to take uh, anything away from them this weekend uh, to stop them winning the title is um, you certainly wouldn't want to put any money on that, any significant amount of money on that happening. Well, you, anything can happen in football, Duncan. I, I think Brighton showed up the weekend at the Emirates and gave Arsenal a good game and, uh, you know, uh, got a 1-1 draw you never know and also the one thing about us uh, and about I say us Brighton at home <laughs> <coughs> letting my allegiance slip there but you listeners know where my allegiances lie so that's okay uh, one thing is uh, Brighton are a hard team to beat uh, um, at home even though they've lost seven this season uh, <laughs> I, 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 when I say that I'm not talking statistics here I'm talking about the way we play clubs don't get easy wins uh, at the Amex in fact Manchester City's um, uh, uh, their uh, visit in, in Brighton's first season in the Premier League, which was ironically the first game uh, of last season, <clears throat> it was a very narrow 2 0 for, um, for City. So, of course, not as much was riding on it as it is now. <clears throat> now, obviously, Liverpool, um, first of all, went back to the top of the league at the weekend uh, with that <clears throat> rather thrilling 3 2 win at Newcastle. Um, <clears throat> I, I just wonder, Duncan with this game against Barcelona, the second leg of their Champions League semi-final, with the players most likely watching Manchester City's game in their team hotel last night and thinking for 60, 65 minutes that maybe, just maybe, Leicester might take something from them. First of all, does it make it easier to, to play against Barcelona because you're not suddenly thinking we might win the league next Sunday because, you know, i.e. Leicester had gained the point? Or... Is, does the dispirited nature of the fact you've watched your main rivals go above you again and you're 3-0 down to Barcelona, does it just mean, oh, our season's gone to sackcloth and ashes? 
is extremely hard for Liverpool to beat Barcelona, um, having lost 3 0 in the first leg um, and having made tactical mess of the game, as we discussed last week, um, and now being without Mo Salah and Roberto Firmino for the game. Um, I, I, don't, I wouldn't have seen them uh, recovering that match with a full strength squad. I think Barcelona are too streetwise. And as we saw in the first leg, they have Lionel Messi motivated as he's never been motivated before to win the uh, the European Cup, bring it back to Camp Nou and I, I just don't see that the, the team is good enough even at um, you know Fortress Anfield to turn it around um, and I think that European campaign has hurt them um, in the sense that they've had to play these additional um, high pressure games that Manchester City um, haven't because they got knocked out um, when they shouldn't have by Tottenham in the Champions League and, and gave them the recovery time between matches to focus on on winning. Um, you know, realistically, Liverpool should have dropped points at Newcastle United at the weekend. They looked a tired team in that match. You saw Jurgen Klopp um, berating his players after they went a goal ahead early on for the lack of intensity in the play and allowing Newcastle back into the game. Um, you know, Newcastle United hit the bar uh, early on. Um, they made a lot of chances against Liverpool. When the game got to 2-2, it looked for all intents and purposes like Liverpool could not score because they were creating nothing. Um, they scored with their only um, shot on goal in that last 30 uh, minute period um, and required a, a ridiculous decision from the linesman um, to grant the free kick from which uh, uh, Divock Origi um, directed the ball towards the net and, and got that uh, got got them ahead in the match but they you know they looked a team struggling then and they looked a team that kind of back to where they were at the turn of the year um, which was not dominant in games um, not convincing in, in the way they played. So I just, it would be the turnarounds of all turnarounds if they were to knock Barcelona out of the Champions League this evening and then get a result against a very good Wolves side um, and have uh, Manchester City drop points for the first time in months at Brighton. Who Th are 13 straight wins in the Premier League, Duncan, for Manchester City now. Exactly, and they're and they're you know they're barely conceding goals as well. Um, so, as you know, it's football, and you never say never. But it looks like the end for Liverpool, and I think we've seen for several weeks now uh, the the narrative about around Liverpool, uh, particularly from the supporters, has been um, if we don't do it, then. It's still been a great season. Uh, there was a guy in Talksport apparently proposing uh, uh, last night or this morning that they, the Premier League give out a second trophy um, because Liverpool had been so good this season and they deserve to get a second trophy for, for getting so many points. What would they call uh, that trophy, Duncan? What, what do you think they would call it? That's exactly what the presenter said. We want a cup, please, trophy. <laughs> and he didn't the, the caller didn't have an answer <laughs> indeed no. well I've only two things to add uh, before we move on to the heroes and villains for this podcast one is um, I do agree with Duncan with regards to personnel deficit for Liverpool against Barcelona however 
it was only last season's Champions League when uh, Barcelona were beat 4-1 in the Camp Nou and lost 3-0 in the Olympico Stadium in Rome, uh, which sent Roma through, of course, to meet Liverpool in that epic semi-final. So it has been done, overturning a three-goal lead, albeit, of course, with the caveat of an away goal. So there's got to be some hope. And the second thing I want to say, of course, which of course there's no hope of, uh, it's a shame Kaiser Duck is not with us today and we, we all wish him well, but we know where his money's going to be tonight and it will definitely be on a Liverpool win. So on that moot point, Duncan, we'll move on to the heroes and villains of the last few days. Um, I'll tell you what, I'm going to go first in this one and uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to give the hero out because I know that you've got um, something you want to say about the villain that... Um, uh, and I've already said it. Uh, so <laughs> I'm, going to, I'm going to give it to two people, actually. I'm going to give it to Vincent Company because, as we've already discussed, what a goal, what a time to score it, what a captain's performance. And we've seen it over his 10 years um, at Manchester City where he comes up, he steps up to the plate, inspires his uh, teammates. But not just that, he is a game winner, whether it's headers to win the league, uh, goals in League Cup finals, and now a, a goal that's, you know, worldy. Um, from probably about 25 metres uh, to win that game against Leicester. But he's got to share the prize, just a little bit of the prize, with Sergio Aguero for, for shouting, don't shoot, don't shoot. <laughs> because that's the reason company thought, oh, really, you think I can't do this? And he did, of course. So, Duncan, from, uh, from the hero to the villain, who's your, uh, your nomination or who is your, indeed your winner of the villain this, this week? Um, I think I think the villain award goes to uh, one of the transfer window podcast eternal favourites. Um, that would be um, the widest left back in the Premier League, and uh, as of recent performances, the the slowest to retreat. Um, Luke Shaw, um, who managed to concede a goal of um, superb amateurishness against Huddersfield Town, which um, put an end to uh, United's faint hopes of finishing in the top four in the Premier League and who looks in absolutely horrendous condition again, um, as you uh, like to describe him. He looks like he's the kind of person you'd meet at 3am outside a kebab shop. Um, And it makes me wonder when, just how long it's going to take for us to see um, some photoshopped uh, Instagram images of him doing his uh, his famous pre-season dedication to the Manchester United cause routine um, to try and demonstrate to the fans that he actually does take his his job seriously and uh, deserves to remain in that position that he is um, astoundingly well paid to hold at Old Trafford. Well, it's time to slam this particular edition of the transfer window shut. But if you want to talk to us about Luke Shaw, Vinnie Company, or people who shout, don't shoot, when in actual fact you should be, then you can continue the discussion with us. We have our own at Transfer Podcast Twitter account. You can get in touch with us through that. Duncan is at Duncan Castles. I'm at Garbo SJ. So please do get in touch. We always love to interact with you, as you know. Um, if you like us, and thousands of you do, as we know, please do us a wee favour in return and uh, go onto the iTunes um, and iTunes pl- uh, platform and give us a five-star review as this helps us reach even more people out there who want to be part of this community. We'll be back on Wednesday with your questions answered. As for now, thanks for listening. <laughs>